Hello, stackers, and welcome to another Creation Corner episode in our ongoing World Builders series, where we're speaking with guests from around the world, really. And today we have our first international guest, and that is Koldik. Uh, you want to introduce yourself briefly? I enjoy like reading fantasy books, listening to podcasts, of course, and uh, playing D anD. d especially like world building because, uh, well. It's like reading a book, except you can decide what you want the world to be like. Exactly. Uh, what? Uh, how long have you been playing D anD? Uh, I think it's been about two years now. Okay, two years. And uh, what got you started in the game? Well, there was a third edition like starter set at Value Village. I'd like heard about the game before, mm-hmm. so I picked that up, and then. I borrowed the 5th edition player's handbook from the library. Oh, wonderful. And tried to use the two together. <laughs> that makes for some interesting uh, clashes, I'm sure. Yeah. So, once we figured that out, we started actually like playing. And, and here I started DMing because yeah. no one else would. <laughs> Welcome to the world of uh, the forever DM. <laughs> Uh, so what has your favorite character been to play so far in the two years you've been playing? It's uh, a really hard question. Because, yeah. I mean, I've lost track of what characters I've played. Right? Wow, that must have been a lot then. Well, a lot of them were didn't really get anywhere. I see, so. I see. All right, and uh, I wanted to take this time to talk with you. First of all, uh, you followed us recently, fairly recently, within the last couple months, I think, uh, on our podcast. And uh, I noticed uh, an increasing surge of listens from Canada. And it was just really exciting to see that. And uh, you responded very quickly when I gave a shout out to our Canadian listeners. And uh, uh, so it's been fun interacting with you through Twitter. And I was just curious to know what brought you to our show I think I found it on Twitter. Oh, great. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where exactly. Yeah. These things can be hard to remember. Uh, So, yeah, I'm glad you found us. And it's been, like I said, it's been fun getting to know you through Twitter and our tweets back and forth and so forth. And I noticed in your profile that world building is one of your favorite things to do. And so you seem like a natural fit for uh, bringing on to a special episode to talk about world building from your perspective. So I wanted to get a sense of what kind of world building you have done. What is it that draws you to it? And what enjoyment do you get out of it? What kinds of things have you created? I know it's kind of a broad question, but why don't you take it however you feel like you want to? Yeah, so I don't know where I started exactly. I think I just started with like, let's run a game. Mm -hmm. Because I, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I should build a world at first. I knew I wanted to have something beyond just a town where the people live, but I didn't put that much thought into it at first. Sure. And then as time went on, I'm like, I should make one world that I can use whenever I'm DMing. Mm -hmm. And since then, I think I've gone through four worlds that I keep telling myself, okay, this is going to be the last one. Yeah, I don't know that that changes ever. (laughs) 
so of the four that you've created, uh, which is your favorite and what makes it special to you? I, th- I think I've put the most detail into the one I've done the most recently. Okay. And what world is that? Can you tell us about it? Well, the idea is there is giants okay. that were like, okay, let's build a world so then we can be like gods. Mm-hmm. So they build this world up in the sky and put a bunch of people on it and they like build a city and then they mind wipe everyone. So the people in the city are like, okay, how did we get here? Sort of thing. Sure. Sure. Wanting to know how they appeared in this place that's pre-made for them. Sure. That'd be a, a natural question. From there, I I still haven't decided like the exact amount of time, but mm-hmm. it's like at least 10,000 years after that first happened. Okay. And there's because, there's like a few nations now. There's the original where everyone just like sort of started. Mm-hmm. Um and then minotaurs which were intended to be like monsters in the world actually were more intelligent than these giants thought and so they've built a civilization Mm -hmm. and then also one of the original like exploring parties that was sent out from the city they formed their own civilization and just never came back interesting and so you potentially have a civilization out there somewhere that is considered lost and maybe even forgotten that uh, future parties can stumble across again. Yeah. Neat. And uh, before we got together for this recording, you shared uh, some notes with me, and it looks like you've done a fair amount of tinkering with magic in your world-building efforts. And I, I figured that's where we would spend the bulk of our time talking about. Uh, is that sound like a fair assessment or do you feel that the magic system in your world is the strongest aspect of it uh yeah sort of okay i what i tried to do is develop beyond what D has mm-hmm. because sure we have like wizards but what does that actually mean if mm-hmm. someone's a wizard beyond just that they can do magic right so what does it mean or is that something that's developing as players move around in your world? So wizards and sorcerers, they're both actually where dragons came from. Hmm. So when wizards get like really super powerful, then they can become a dragon. Oh, interesting. They don't necessarily have to, but like that's beyond level 20, right? So Sure. Is that a choice thing or is that just something that naturally happens? Well... For sorcerers, it's probably not a choice, like especially the draconic sorcerer. Mm-hmm. But for wizards, it's like probably something they study to figure out this is how we're going to do that. I see. All right. Uh, so what what makes your magic system different from what's described in the core rule books? Well, uh, what I did is I. I sectioned it into, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four different types of magic. Okay, what are those? So there's the like life magic, mm-hmm. or like Feywild magic, which is druids and rangers, mm-hmm. which essentially comes from the Feywild. There's deals, so like you make a deal with some powerful creature and you gotcha. get magic. So there's your warlocks. That's 
Yeah. I didn't uh, do much modification there. Okay. Uh, would that include paladins too? Because paladins with their oaths might be considered something of a deal with, with an entity, or is that more divine? It could, but I think that's more divine for the most part. Okay, gotcha. Understood. Which divine magic is also an oath in this world. Oh, okay. So deities don't really exist. Like, there's not, oh, this person is a god. Mm -hmm. It's this person has worshippers, therefore they have power. I see. So if you swear an oath to follow a person, they get more power. Okay. Sorry, I threw you off track. There was the Feywild, or uh, the, the first category, the second category was the Pact Magic, uh, and what are the other two? Then there's the Dragon Magic and okay. the Religious Magic. I see. All right, so you've got these various classes of magic, and then depending on what kind of character you choose to play, that's what kind of magic category you fall into. Yeah. I see. And is there ever any crossover or... You know, how do you handle multi-class players, say like a, a cleric druid or sorcerer or something or other? I don't know. I mean, you could stick them into like one category. You could be like, this person has more of this type of magic. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to say that the rest of the magic also comes from that. Mm -hmm. Or you could be like, they're doing both. Because there's nothing saying you can't have both types of magic. Sure. Just, uh, I guess the natural limitation is lifespan <laughs> in that case. <laughs> How much time do you have to devote to studying all these various pools of magic? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, since you've retooled or reimagined how magic works in your world, is there some kind of difference in how characters can get access to magic? Uh, do, do you have to earn access? Is, you know, or is it just something inherent? Well, I sort of didn't want to stop anyone from choosing to play any class mm -hmm. because they ha would have to play someone of whatever personality or whatever. But I wanted it to be like, they have this to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. So for example, with someone who follows a religion, if followers of that person are dying out, then that person is going to have to cut off the power of some of their paladins, hmm. some of their clerics. Interesting. So it's almost like how much can this single entity manage before they're tapped out? Yeah. And, and then dragons don't like other dragons, hmm. so they don't want powerful wizards and sorcerers. I see. So there's some natural attrition at work here as dragons try to eliminate competition potentially yeah that's an interesting notion yeah and that could lead to a lot of conflict you know especially at the start of a campaign knowing that there are these super powerful dragons out there you know that could lead to all sorts of interesting possibilities for a campaign i like it uh do you have that sort of thing that kind of thinking impose restrictions on players uh you know for instance with, with that do you have you had it limit somebody from choosing to be a spellcaster that you know of because they know that they could incur the Wrath of Dragons if they get too powerful? Well, since I don't know, like, I don't think that the people in the world really understand that. Ah, uh, okay. I haven't, like, just said that to everyone. I see, I see. So should we put a spoiler tag on this episode? 
maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think they're locked into the choices they made now. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, good. Um, has has your special take on magic had any surprising outcomes, whether good or bad? Well, one thing is there's the nation where there's a dragon like decided, oh, I'm going to train wizards so that I can monitor them to make mm. sure they're not too powerful. And if they get too powerful, get rid of their magic. Mm. In that nation, one of the players murdered someone. Uh. So now they're wanted. There's this group in the nation that can like block magic, but it's only that one type of magic. Mm. So they were in a wizard school when they did this. So obviously this group assumes, oh, we can block their magic. So they try to do that, and it does nothing. Uh, because it's outside of their realm. Yeah. So uh, do you have groups? Uh, you know, I'm just kind of thinking through the ramifications of this. Do you have perhaps, say, anti-magic groups that are out there actively trying to remove this? Maybe magic is getting out of control, or the, the abuse of it, or you know, the, the strife that it causes. It seems like that'd make for an interesting subplot. You've got these what effectively become witch hunters trying to destroy people who can use magic because uh, you know it's causing more problems than it's fixing. So the original city, it was more technologically advanced mm -hmm. than like a typical D and D setting. So we have sort of this fight over the people who are like, let's use this technology to do what we want. And the people who are like, but we can use magic and get that done. Yeah. I, I can definitely see in a campaign setting uh, a pull, the, the very pro-magic folks and the very con-magic folks who uh, are both arguing strenuously for their view on magic. And um, you know, that, that could make for some interesting possibilities in a campaign setting. How about the process of tinkering with magic itself? Uh, you know, have you run into issues with it? Any challenges with taking on this task? Because obviously the rules have been through lots of playtesting and peer review, player review, that kind of thing. Um, have you seen any unexpected difficulties arise out of the magic system as you have implemented it within your games? Well, yeah, one of the things I tried to do was not modify how it worked for the mm -hmm. most part. Like, the Wild Magic Sorcerer, I want to change the table, but at the same time, it's hard to know how to balance that. Sure, sure. So in, in effect, then, you've basically flavored magic rather than changed it. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, that's certainly a safer way to go as far as, you know, again, trying to keep things in balance, trying to make sure you're not breaking the game one way or the other either in the player's benefit or against the player's. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's a wise decision. Yeah, the biggest modification I made was the power that the deity-like people can get mm -hmm. because they get power. So I wanted to make that mechanically because once the players realize that, they're going to want to amass followers. Sure. So they can achieve the same status? Of course, it's difficult to amass followers because they have to devote themselves to following you. It's not just like a, 
oh, I pray to this person when I am in trouble. Mm -hmm. So with your work on flavoring magic, are there any other aspects that you have added flavor to to uh, differentiate your system from what's in the books? Any, Any other neat touches that you've added? Well, birds in my world, which is, of course, going to be very different from your world, don't do any magic. Technically, sure, they still cast spells, but it's not considered magic. Okay. It's just the fact that they believe that they can succeed allows them to succeed. The power of (laughs) self-confidence. I like it. Basically, bards are more prone to a bit of swagger, it almost feels like. Yeah, and also like in the act of telling the story of what happened for them, that is part of what makes the time in the past go better. Hmm. Almost like uh, as we recount things from our past, we tend to soften on them over time. Yeah, it's like we change details, but when bards change details... It's actually what happened. Hmm. That sounds like a power unto itself. Interesting. So is there any cost for them to do that? I mean, to, to have that kind of reach back to alter the past, what do they have to do? Is it purely through their act of speaking that it happens, or do they have to do more to, to affect that? One of the biggest like things with the bards that I wanted to create as a challenge was because they're not doing magic, and often because they're still casting these spells, they won't be fighting. It's like, what are they actually doing? Mm -hmm. So they're just there. Like, some people might understand, okay, things go better. But at the same time, do you want them to be there and not do anything? They're going to be under the constant pressure of, why don't you actually help us? Mm -hmm. So are bards, do bards, you said they, they aren't considered magical, Although they have these supernatural powers, uh, do they almost equate to like Ronin, where they're able to do things but not really tied to a specific master? Or is it that they're just completely outside of magic altogether? Well, like to everyone, it's as if that happened. Mm -hmm. Sure. Nobody knows anything was any different. Right. Or could have been different. Yeah. So there's no reason for someone to call it anything different than just them being there. Sure, sure. Uh, so then do bards feel the need to justify their existence somehow, or do they, are they content to let people live in ignorance of what they're actually doing? I feel like it depends on the bard. Like, often they don't amount to anything simply mm-hmm. because they don't try to go and fight because that's not what they're doing anyway. They just tell other people's stories, which sort of helps the other people sometimes. Sure, even if they're not aware of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that, that could lead to maybe a bard with a chip on his shoulder where I've, I'm doing all this work and nobody knows. It, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day. The guy who's repeating the same day over and over and over saves a kid from falling out of a tree one time and... He hurts his back in the process, and he says, you know, you never thank me (laughs) as the kid runs off because he knows he's doomed to repeat the same moment the next day. Uh, I get the feeling it's it's a bit like Groundhog Day for these bards who are out there laboring, perhaps, to 
to make the best possible world with their words and the people aren't even aware of what they're doing. And that's, that's a, a funny, but understandably annoying prospect for bards. <laughs> it's a, a very thankless task. It feels like. Yeah. And then the other question is whether this bard actually understands what they're doing. Ah, that's, that's a possibility too. You have the ignorant bard. Yeah. Because if they're like, you could have these depressing parts too then, who are like, yeah, my day went horrible, all these bad things happened. Uh-huh. And it's because they talked about them so much. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities with this. I like that that extra dimension that you've given this. What about other things, other aspects of your magic that you find unique? One thing that I put in, I was trying to figure out what gives rangers and druids their magic. Mm -hmm. Because portals to the Feywild isn't the only thing. Because if my players go to the Feywild, they don't suddenly have access to this magic. So sort of what I determined is these portals are almost like plants. They're grown and tended by the druids. Okay. The reason they do this is because if all of these portals were to die, everything in the world would also die. Hmm. What, what is the link? What, what is it that the portals provide that keeps the world from dying? Well, it's like the Feywild is like the realm of life, sort of. Okay. And so the portals become a gateway for that life to seep into this world? Yeah. I see. So even further back, before these giants built the world, this world had actually died. Mm -hmm. So then everyone in the Feywild is like, we don't want giants anymore. Mm. Because they're just destroying everything, and they don't even realize it. So then they opened a portal to a dead world and sent the giants to the dead world. Okay. Is there a plan in your mind... For players to ever interact with this dead world or to seek out the giants for some reason? Yeah, it, it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. It's not where my players are going. Sure, sure. But then again, they're really hard to predict. Oh, out, you know, that is players everywhere. And I'm glad you realize that. <laughs> it's like, first they get thrown into the Feywild, so then they want to get out. Mm -hmm. They find a way to get out. But now they're mad at someone in the Feywild, so they want to go back in to kill that person. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're just never happy, you know? Players and characters, they, they, there's always something they want. <laughs> well, let's back out of magic and go back to the more general topic of world building. Is there anything you want to share from your experience about world building and any thoughts you have on the topic as a whole? One thing that I tend to focus on more, I don't know why, but since I'm not very good at remembering to describe climates, mm -hmm. so instead I work on how can I make this city different from this other city? That is a challenge, yes. Because I won't even remember to mention this city is in the jungle and this city is in the desert. Mm-hmm which completely changes the two of them. Sure. Not only for the surroundings, which is the probably the most visual aspect, but 
civilization adapts to the land in which it is. So you would have different buildings, different structures, different ways of adapting to the terrain based on what's around you. But sort of what I go for instead is, okay, these people in this kingdom live in fear of a dragon Mm -hmm. because the dragon rules the city and the surrounding area. So that helps shape the way that each and every NPC interacts. Another thing I focused on is instead of trying to build the NPCs that I think I know my players are going to run into, I try to make a way I can come up with NPCs faster. Mm -hmm. So my players give me, we're going to a magic shop. Ah, yes. I know this character that they are going to encounter runs a magic shop. Now I look at my sheet, I get a name because I need those. Otherwise, everyone is going to have the same name and some quirk. Sure. One of the ones I got recently when they went to a magic shop was that this character could not read. Hmm. So they're running a magic shop, but they can't read. Sure. That, uh, that's immediately a fun encounter. Or they can only speak one language because so often everyone just speaks common. It's like, what is the purpose of having these other languages? Sure, sure. Well, I like that. One of our very, very early episodes in the Creation Corner series was on, uh, I provided a spreadsheet that gave a randomized, you know, with the press of a button, you could get a, I think, three attributes to throw onto an NPC. So with a very quick press of a button, you could generate on the fly the characteristics of the person that the PCs just suddenly decide to stop and interrogate. Uh, but this, this sounds like a, a very similar and effective approach, and I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. Is the sheet that you're referring to something that you would be willing to share? I mean, it's just a sheet of paper oh, right I now. I see. Gotcha. No problem. No problem. Uh, but the idea is you know, having a handy reference that you can use for basically randomized generation of character attributes on the fly. That's, that's a powerful tool to have at your fingertips. I like it. Yeah. And then one of the other things is it's hard to remember the voice that an NPC uses. Yes, it is. <laughs> like, I can use different voices, mm-hmm. but then I have to remember what voice I used. And I, like, I don't know how to write a description for a voice that I will be able to repeat that voice from. Right. Which leads to very few voices, though I can do more than the number that I actually am using. Sure. Well, I think that's part of the fun of the table experience is, you know, just poking at each other about messing up things like that and, you know, figuring it out as you go. I know it's it's a struggle that I have, and I think every dungeon master runs into it at some point, trying to remember that one voice from however long ago. Uh, it is not a new problem to have. I suppose there are ways to work around it where you could actually do an audio recording of yourself doing various voices, but who has time to reference that when you're sitting at the table in the middle of a game? Yeah. So I'd, I'd be interested to know if anybody has tools available to help with keeping track of that sort of thing. That'd be an interesting one. I did think about doing something like that, mm-hmm. where you, like, when you first meet the NPC, you just record what you're saying 
at that moment. Sure. So then when they come back two months later to that same NPC, you can play that and then try to copy it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's always going to be a challenge. You have any other general thoughts on world building from your experience? I think that's about it. Okay, well, thank you so much, Koldick, for joining us. And is there a good way for people to reach you if they have questions or comments about what we've talked about today? Twitter is probably the best way, or I guess on the Discord server would work too. Okay, great. And we'll leave that information in our show notes for this episode. So look for that. And again, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us about your world-building experience and some of the fun things you've come up with. I really like the idea about the bards and the backwards reach that they have. That's, that's a really neat notion that, uh, that I think some folks could have a lot of fun with. Stackers, what do you think? Has this helped shape your understanding of world-building in any way? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram at Stackadice, and you can email us at stack.o.dice at gmail.com. Or, as Koldick just mentioned, you can find us on Discord, and that information is on our Twitter feed. And we hope to see you here again next time at Stack of Dice. <laughs>